0: Well, praise the Lord! I want to uh, invite everyone to make their way back to where they uh, were seated, or if you've chosen a new seat and during this time and supplanted someone out of a better position, uh, good for you. For the few that are uh, for the few that are visiting and the new faces, welcome! I hope that uh, you find a place today where you have felt uh, welcome to come and share worship. Uh, together with Christ, with others who are uh, wanting just that, to just be in God's presence, to be encouraged by the fellowship of of other Christians, uh, and to be uplifted as we sing songs of confession, Uh, like there is one gospel in which we stand, and that all of the things that that gospel uh, accomplishes uh, in us, uh, is not because of us, yet not I, but Christ through me, and uh, uh, the, the, the truths that we sing here, and now we turn our attention to the Word of God. My name is Bo Andrews, I'm one of the pastors here, and we started last week in the gospel or the, uh, the, the epistle of Galatians, and so we're going to just pick up right there uh, where we left off last week. Last week, we framed the book of Galatians by using kind of a, the reformers, um, five solas as a, as a way to look at the whole book. We said that in the beginning of the book and, and in the first ten, uh, the first ten verses, Paul is really going to give an introduction that is also a summary of what he's going to say. And then he's going to let the rest of this epistle, um, kind of unpack in deeper measure, uh, some of the things that he's going to bring out in his introduction. And so in his introduction, he's going to to address the Galatians. Um, Then he's going to immediately jump into the rest of chapter 1 and 2 where he's going to defend his apostolic authority, which is to say that the reason you can believe the gospel that he's going to present in Galatians is because you have to believe that he got it from Christ. And we equated that in some small way last... Last week, to the first soul of it's on my right, your left. How that we believe as uh, Christians that the, the, the Bible is the sole authority and the infallible word of God, where it reveals to us our condition. How the world got here what's wrong with the world what God has done about it and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus and that without believing the authority of scripture we can't believe anything that scripture reveals to us and so Paul first in the book of Galatians defends his authority as an apostolic disciple in, ver- in chapters one and two then he's going to make a switch around chapter, the end of 2, and going into 3 and 4, where he's going to give us kind of the unpacking of what the gospel is. And he's going to say that justification comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in the works of Christ alone. And somewhere around the end of chapter 4, going into chapter 5, he's going to start then and shift into the application of what that gospel truth looks like to those of us who have been saved And as he talks about how the Galatians should treat one another in Christ, he's really talking about how we should live out our salvation for the glory of God alone. And so we're going to continue with that as our outline. That is the frame of how we're going to move through this book. Last week we got through verses 1 through 5, and today we're going to pick up that in 6 through 10, and we're going to end this introduction section that Paul's in. And then what's left of the book is just the last words in benediction that we'll we'll end the book in uh, as we get there. By way of context, Paul is writing this book to the churches in the area known as Galatia, probably to the four churches that he planted or helped plant on his first missionary journey. And what's happened is after he's moved through that area, they've been infiltrated by legalistic Judaizers who are trying to convince these new converts, these new believers who have given their life in the hope that what Jesus did on the cross through his perfect life lived and his perfect sacrifice of death, being accepted by God and proven in his resurrection, that they had put their hope in that for salvation, but now they've been infiltrated by people who have come and said that, on top of that, they needed to add the works primarily of the Mosaic law back to, uh, back to that, into that formula of how to be saved. In short, the gospel is under attack in these churches. And that explains Paul's tone in this book. The urgency that he has as he writes this letter of Galatians. The message that we're going to cover today in the, in the verses that we have, if I could give it like a theme or a title... It would be that the gospel of grace found in Christ Jesus our Lord is the only true gospel except no substitutes. So I like coffee. And uh, I like strong coffee. I like real coffee. I like the, the kind of coffee that not only leaves the grit in the bottom of the cup after you're done, but in your teeth sometimes too. It's like orange juice with a lot of pulp. Actually, I don't like the orange juice with a lot of pulp. I like that really watery and runny. But I like my coffee with a lot of grit. And I used to work down in Mexico. And uh, in Mexico, there are a lot of wonderful places to have a kind of old, percolated coffee. You know that machine that has the clear thing on top? I'm, I'm, I'm by, mostly explaining this to people who are under 30 who think coffee is something you do this with, or maybe worse yet, something you do this to. Um <laughs> But in Mexico, they had the old percolators, and they would percolate coffee. Sometimes they would even put cinnamon sticks in there. And as I would go into those offices doing sales calls, and I'd smell that real coffee. And at that time, I didn't know I was allergic to cinnamon, and so there was a lot of like, what's going on? But found that out later. But anyway, one time I was down in a city called Piedras Negras, and I was there to make a sales call. And I'd stayed in a hotel the night before. And I came downstairs in the morning, like I usually did, to get some of that delicious coffee, that real coffee. And I sat down and I ordered it, and the lady brought me out a white porcelain cup full of really hot water and a jar of Sanka. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's imitation coffee. That's, That's what's called instant coffee. That's a substitute. Not only is it instant, in that if you've ever opened it up, it's just like these black flaky crystals, that when you take a spoonful and you put it in the hot water in your cup, it just makes black water with a weird foam on top. But it's also decaffeinated. And so it does nothing for you whatsoever. And so here I am with the hope that I was going to get a real cup of coffee to start my day. And instead what I got was a white cup full of hot water and a substitute. And I looked around and everybody else seemed okay with it. And so I figured I'd give it a try. I even tried to like it because I wanted to fit in. But you know what I found after drinking a little bit of it? That it was not doing anything for me. It left no grit in my teeth. Um, It didn't have a pick-me-up. It really didn't even pass as coffee. It was a substitute. The application of this story... Real coffee is real coffee, except no substitutes. How this ties in with where we're going in Galatians is that the message that Paul is going, to be try, is going to be pushing in our verses today is that any substitute for the gospel, any gospel that is more than Jesus Christ and Him crucified or by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, anything that adds on to that, Jesus has done a lot for you, now this is how you have to complete it, isn't a gospel at all. It's a lie. And the proof is, Sanka does nothing for you if you need live-on caffeine. And that kind of gospel will do nothing for you when you stand before the holy God. There is only one gospel in which we stand. It is Christ and being attached or hidden in his righteousness. With that in mind, I'd like to read Galatians. I want to start back over at Galatians 1.1 and read through verse 10, and then we'll pray. Starts out, Paul, an apostle. Don't you like the way the old letters started out in the epistles? Like when we write a letter to each other, we write all the stuff, and then you have to wait till the very end to see who's saying it. You know what I think? You, you write all the stuff, and then at the end, you're like, love you, or sincerely your name. Paul just puts it right up. There. This is from me, Paul, an apostle. Not from men, nor through man, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Take a moment and pray and ask God to clear your heart, your head, and that we could all receive what God intends for us out of His word today. Father God, as we come to you now and we open up your word and we read and we study, we ask that your spirit would make it alive in us, that this would be more than a history lesson about a letter written by a man to a group of churches a long time ago, that would even be more than just a a, a lesson that would contain some truths that we may try to apply to our lives, but Lord, that it would be something that Your Spirit would take and and lift words off of this page and that Your Spirit would speak them directly into our hearts and that they would become life-giving to us. Lord, I have in mind and in my heart that there are those in this room, even right now, who have struggled throughout this week because the grip that sin has on our flesh, that we may struggle, Lord, to think that we can be accepted by You when we still have so much work left to do in battling our carnal man, our fleshly desires, and the sins that beset us. And Lord, the more that we may have looked at being good enough for You, the more we may have lost our joy in living with You. Your Word says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Lord, the more that we have wrestled with sin and maybe we've felt that we have fallen to sin, maybe we've even felt that we've lost strength in representing You and preaching the Gospel. Maybe, Lord, we've set goals That if we could just add something more, if we could just get to reading the Bible more, if we could just pray a little more, if we could just tell that neighbor about Jesus, that then somehow, God, you would be more pleased with us. And in the absence of that, Lord, maybe we have in our heart this morning that you're not as pleased with us as you could be. Lord, I ask that your Spirit would take these words and would speak them in life-giving ways to our heart to let us know that when we are in Christ Jesus, His righteousness has been applied to us in a way that you see us in love and acceptance because we're hidden in your only begotten Son. And that there is not one thing that we could add to His finished salvation on the cross that would make you more accepting of who we are and that you've loved us in Christ saved us in Christ and now love us enough Lord that you won't leave us dead or in our sins but your spirit will continue to work in us to sanctify us until one day Lord we meet you face to face Mm. and we see the one who gave himself for us speak to us Lord because when we are walking confidently in the salvation that we have in Christ, we are lights burning in the darkness of the culture around us. Speak to us, Lord, and give us life and give us hope that we may share that with those in the communities around us, that they may too come to know our Heavenly Father and Christ who He has sent, which your gospel says is everlasting life. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen. Amen. Like I said in in this letter, Paul's tone is going to be a little different than his usual epistles. In most of the other epistles that he writes, he's going to introduce "I'm like I Paul, an apostle." He then is going to almost always have grace and peace to the to the readers in given in that order. Never peace before grace, because it is by God's grace that we come to be at peace with God. But then in almost every other epistle, Paul is going to move on to give thanks for the church that's going to receive the epistle and be reading it. For instance, we just take a quick run around the New Testament. If you turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 8, Paul, as he's addressing the church at Rome, says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Or if you turn past Uh, Galatians to Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.16, addressing the church at Ephesus, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Turn one more book over into Philippians, and you'll see the same thing in Philippians 1.3, where he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Or if you want to keep going into Colossians, as we keep going right... In Colossians 1, three, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. If you go back to the left from Galatians, even in the church in Corinth, a church that had some issues, but when Paul was writing to the Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 4, even to that church, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. How could Paul write to these other churches that had so many problems, that had so much sin, that had issues with selfishness and lack of love, and be thankful for them, and yet when he turns to the Galatians, he has nothing like that to write in the epistle. Because these other churches, though they had sin present... They had the gospel hope right. The book of Galatians is an emergency letter because the very gospel of Christ is at stake. This is the gospel that's constraining Paul to write this letter because the gospel is not a secondary issue. Paul's not writing the Galatians because he heard that they were moving from Calvinism to Arminianism because Paul wouldn't have known what those words meant. He's not worried because they're pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, ah-mil, preterist, partial preterist. He's not worried because they're singing praise songs instead of out of the hymnal, and he's not even concerned to tell them that it really should be done out of the psaltery. He's not writing them like he did the, 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 the Corinthians to say that it was an issue of consciousness Like whether you should eat meat or not or celebrate what days or not. This is on Paul's heart because this means in the gospel it's Christian or not. It's heaven or not. It's saved or not. It's the gospel or not. And I think with that in his heart is one of the reasons that Paul gives us in the book of Galatians such a clear-cut book of contrasts where you're either one way or not. You either have the true gospel or false gospel. You either are working in works or by faith. You either have the law or grace. You either have freedom or your legalism. You either have sonship or slavery and bondage. You either have the fruits of the Spirit or the works of the flesh. And so Paul jumps right in without any thanksgiving and starts in verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. He's astonished for two reasons. One, that they're turning away. And two, that they're doing it so quickly and so easily. He says, I'm astonished that you're quickly deserting. But look, it doesn't say that you're quickly deserting the gospel. Paul says when we turn away from the gospel, he's astonished that we're quickly deserting him who called us in the grace of Christ. That means when we come to the gospel of Jesus, the finished work of what Christ has done on sinners' behalf by living a perfect life, keeping the whole law of God, and then going to the cross and dying for us. And when we want to get a little more pious than that, and when we want to get just a little more holy than that, and we think that we need to add to that something, that we're putting the gospel at stake, that we're turning our way from God even in our pious, holy hearts that want to add to thinking that somehow that may draw us closer to God with our good works. But what Paul says is when we add anything to the finished work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're actually turning away from Him who called us. This is the true gospel that God, He's the Him who called us, God calls. Romans uh, 3, 10-18, if you want to turn left in your Bibles and, and go back to Romans 3, I want to read. 10-18, through 18, describing us, Paul says in his letter to the Romans, as it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's that's every person born ever. Because of the, the effects of sin... Through Adam and Eve, none of us are born righteous. It's why you parents that have had the blessing of raising children never had to teach them to cry, to to take that extra cookie and then to turn around and lie about it. You never had to teach them to smack their sibling and blame it on something else. We don't have to teach them that, it comes in the package. And while we recognize it now as adults and looking at our children acting out, it's also true of us. And so the gospel, the true gospel, starts out this way, that God has to call. Because we, like sheep, have our heads down just trying to feed ourselves with the things of life, with the pride of life, with the lust of the flesh, with the pride of our eyes, trying to find something that would fill us and give our lives fulfillment and meaning. And none of us are turning to God to find that on our own. And so the Good Shepherd of our souls first calls us. And He calls us in grace. What is grace? Well, it means that God does not call us based on any merit of our own. He doesn't call us based on goodness found in us. He doesn't call us based on our intellect. He doesn't even call us based on our good intentions. God doesn't save by using his Godness, uh, his God vision, and kind of looking down the corridor of all time and seeing everyone who, if given the right circumstances and opportunity, would turn to him, and then saying, because I saw that in the future you would turn to me, now I'm going to call you and give you the opportunity to turn to me. That would mean that we, by turning to God, actually force God's hand to call us. Do you see how that just... Puts the responsibility for salvation right back in our own hands. No, there is no way to mitigate the one sidedness of salvation that's been given to Christians. God calls, God chooses, God elects, and that strips All of our pride and all of our adding to anything that God has done. And really, if you're honest with yourself, leaves you with very little response to God outside of, Hallelujah, thank you Lord, I want to love you back because you have loved me in this way. Jesus would say it this way, To the depth of your understanding of your brokenness, to the depth of you understanding how sin sick you really are, you will probably respond back to his gift of righteousness. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the well, I came to call and heal the sick. I came to find the lost and bring them in, not to some works-oriented righteousness where they could prove to me that they deserved me, but call the broken and adopt them, and in my overwhelming love, they would be safe to change and love me back. That's the gospel. And He's addressing people who are, who are turning away from that. Turning away from Him who calls us in Christ. God's grace was first announced at the very points of human failure. God's grace was mingled in at the moment when the curse of sin and death were emerging. In Genesis 3:15, God couldn't even get the curse out without giving the gospel. And while he's trying to curse, he says, but one's going to come, and he's going to be the Messiah, Savior. But God's grace has never been contingent on our earning His love and acceptance. It's always been a very display of His goodness and His eternal character. Maybe most clearly displayed in Christ. By turning away from the gospel, we are actually rejecting Him who calls us in the grace of Christ. And how could that be good news? See, that's what the gospel means, right? Good news. Um, I saw on my little app this week that we're supposed to hit 100, 99, and it doesn't really matter. You add humidity into that, and, I mean, there's some point, right, that it doesn't matter, 100, 99, 208. Uh it, it, What it really means is you're going to melt. Now, if I told you today while you were sitting here that, oh, by the way, your A.C. just broke in your house. Let's just let that... For those that have gone without electricity because of a hurricane or some other you know reason, and you've not had AC and it hit 100, just feel that. Like oh, that joyous like trying to sleep when it's still 87, the gospel means good news. If I told you that your air conditioner was broken right now, but I told you all the things that you need to go do, buy and learn how to do to fix it. Ladies, what if I told you this, that I was going to tell your husband how to fix your AC? Would that be good news? Knowing that it's going to be 100? Like some of you are like, oh, yes, because he can fix anything, not my wife. If I told her, it's going to be all right, honey, I'm going out there to check it. She's like, great, I'm going to go to your parents' house, their AC is working. Now the, the the good news is not that I tell you it's 100 degrees but I can tell you how to fix your AC. The good news is that I tell you, you know what? Your AC's fixed and working perfectly well. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. No matter how hot it's going to be outside, you can turn that bad boy down to 68 and hang meat in the, you know, in the kitchen. That's what it feels like to me sometimes. I used to complain so much because my, you know, my wife liked it hotter and I was the guy walking in like, gosh, we got to turn this thing down. And now I'm walking around with my little blankie on and she's like, wow, you're getting old. That's a side. See, relying on our good works, relying on any behavior that we have to please God is not good news. Relying on our own goodness to stand in the presence of a holy God is not good news. Relying on any good thing that could be found in our character or anything that we could do as we hang over the the fire of hell. But the reason we won't fall into that fire is because of our goodness That's not good news to me. That's damnation to me. That's leaving me in the curse. Because none of us is good enough. None of us are able to be saved. Paul's going to go on in Galatians to say this. If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But he's going to say if we turn from Christ back to the law then we're voiding all of the benefit of Christ and we're being severed from the grace and the gospel that he's given. Because by no righteousness is flesh going to be justified. It's only in Christ Jesus. Worse yet, he says in Galatians, that if you want to be justified through any part of the law, you have to be justified by keeping all of the law. Now, based on that, which one of us would honestly say that we're going to stand before a holy God because we've kept every bit of what he's asked of humanity? That's not good news. Verse 7 says, there's two words that that are happening here in the end of verse 6 and verse 7. Verse 6 says that that's turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. And these are Greek words. I'm probably going to butcher them. I don't speak Greek. Uh, but I'll tell you what they are and what they mean. And then we'll see a little bit what Paul is saying. So the first Greek word, when he says there's a different gospel, is the word heteros. And it means different, but in a different kind. And then he's going to say not that there is another gospel, which is the word alos, which means different, but the same kind. All right? Let me play that out for you. If you have a poodle and you have a bulldog, you have two of the same kind of thing. You have alos. You have two dogs. But if you have a dog and a cat, well, you should just get rid of the cat and you'll be happier. <laughs> if I ever get up here and don't take a shot at cats, remind me I missed my opportunity. Now, if you have a dog and a cat, you have heteros. You have two separate kinds of things. It's the old Sesame Street. One of these is not like the other. One of these doesn't belong. right? And and so Paul is saying that when you change the gospel and put any works with it, that you've not just changed it into another dog, you've changed it into a cat. And cats are worthless. (laughs) You don't have real coffee anymore, you've got Sanka. And it's not going to wake you up. It's not going to do anything for you when you have a substitute. And so accept no substitutes. Listen to what God says about the idea that we would turn away from His provision of salvation all the way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 2, you can turn there if you want. Uh, and if not, I'm just going to read it uh, as I get there. And then we're going we're to move on for sake of time. But in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, God says this through the prophet Jeremiah. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be Utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Second, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. How does God feel about us turning away from the provision? of him giving his only begotten son who would come into a world that didn't recognize him to a people who didn't want him and still let himself, after taking on the form of a slave, die the the death of a criminal on our behalf? How does God feel about us looking at that gift and saying, good try, I'm just going to add a little bit to it? He says to the prophet Jeremiah, be appalled, be shocked. You're turning from Christ Jesus who said, I am the water. Any man who thirsts, come drink of me and you'll never thirst again. And you're turning to broken cisterns. Uh, A cistern was just a way of carving out rock so that when the rains and water flowed into it, you would be able to collect water in there that was usable. Broken cisterns are useless. And any other gospel that preaches Jesus plus anything else is equally as useless. It's not more holy. It's not more Christian. It's not more godly. It's not more pious. It's useless. Isaiah, as a matter of fact, says of our righteousness, that our righteousness is as filthy rags to the Lord. Any other gospel won't hold water. So accept no substitute. He goes on and he says in the end of of that verse... That what these people who want to trouble you are actually doing is distorting the gospel. Look, they're not denying the gospel, they're just distorting it. That means they're taking what is and bending it into another shape. But when you distort something, it becomes useless. Go home and ask your 10-year-old son to distort your key before you try to get into your house and see if it works. Well, it will because most of our houses now do this, not keys. But remember, when you had a key and you had to actually use it on something, if it was distorted, it wouldn't work. Or when I was uh, being welcomed into a group of college students, we used to call it hazed, but that seems really bad to say in church, so... Um, but when I was being welcomed into this group, one of the things that they did was take some of us out and um, they dropped us off uh, outside of College Station and they gave us one quarter back when nobody had cell phones and they told us where a payphone was. When we got there, they had bent the quarter just enough that no matter how you tried, it wouldn't go into the slot to activate the, 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 the pay phone. That quarter was distorted, and though it was just enough that you could barely notice it, it made it totally worthless and what we were is without a ride and just had a useless quarter. I guess if we found a you know a store back then we could have maybe bought a piece of bubble gum or something, but that was about what it was worth. These people are distorting the gospel by adding to it and the the Bible later in in other places uses this exact same Greek word for distort. And it means more than just to change, but it actually means to change into the opposite. Like in Acts 2, verse 20 where the sun will be distorted into darkness, or James 4, 9, where laughter will be distorted into mourning. And so what we're really looking at is Paul saying, when you add good works to the gospel, you're not just distorting it a little, you're distorting it into its opposite. You're taking the gospel that that, that he says in, in chapter 5, verse 1, it is to make you free. It is for freedom that God has has acted on you through the good news of the gospel. Freedom from the old chains of bondage, of law-keeping, and the curse. Freedom now to worship Christ and to give your life to him. And when we add just a little bit of law-keeping to that, what we do is actually distort the gospel and it doesn't make us free anymore. It just makes us into bondage. And so he says of these people, as we move on, they're troublemakers, they're agitators. When they come and they tell you, how can you be Christian if you don't? You can't be Christian unless you do. These people are troublemakers, they're troubling you. And he says some strong words about them in verse 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we've preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul picks maybe two of the things that the Galatians should trust the most. Himself and an angel. And says, I want you to understand the authority of the word of God that Paul would even say of himself, I, Paul, am not inspired as a man. The writings that the Holy Spirit moves on my heart to record and keep are the infallible Word of God. But I, Paul, as a man, am able to say incorrect things. And if I ever come back and say something contrary to what the Word of God has said to you about the Gospel, don't believe me. Or even if an angel appeared to you and said some hocus-pocus nonsense. And let me just say as fanciful as that is, we have in our nation and in the world different cultic religions that are based purely on angels revealing themselves to like Joseph Smith and saying... Let me tell you why the LDS church is the only true church. Where angels revealing themselves to different people and giving them different Gospels. And how does God feel about those different Gospels? Well, Jeremiah said, God's appalled that we would turn away from the gift of God to go back to works-based Righteousness. And of those people who come bearing those words, 2 Corinthians says, in chapter 11, verse 13 through 15, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as serpents, 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 servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Um, Sola Scriptura. Trust in what God has revealed and kept through time. And trust it alone. All of us probably have favorite preachers or teachers that we listen to. But can I tell you that R.C. Sproul's just a man. John MacArthur, Alistair Begg, the list goes on. If we go back in time, we could even touch some of the sacreds like Calvin himself. But not everything Calvin said is true just because John Calvin said it. Not everything that comes out of the mouth of some of the people that we love the most as they exposit God's Word can be true unless it's the Word of God because let this be true and all men be a liar, God's Word says. Listen, don't put your salvation ever on something that some other person told you because anybody can use the name of Jesus. Cults can come and talk about Jesus. They can talk about heaven. They can talk about forgiveness. They can even use words like grace. But if they veer away from what the Bible has revealed about the one finished work that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him would not Perish but have eternal life when they veer away from that at all. Paul says, Let them be cursed. That's a strong word, anathema. It is the Old Testament word for things that were not redeemable, they were set aside for destruction. Why? Because. Back in Genesis, God leveled a curse at all humanity when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And involved in that curse was something like this. Now you know the holiness of God, but you'll never be able to reach it. Now you know that God is good, but you see how bad you are and you'll never bridge that chasm. Now you've fallen out of perfect relationship with the life-giving God and you've fallen into sin and death and the curse. But there was one remedy for the curse given. That God would send His Son who would pay for it. And so if you turn away from the Gospel, which is the remedy for the curse, what do you have left but to turn back into the curse? So for everyone who adds anything to the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that it's finished, they're turning you back into the curse of the law. And don't go back there. Paul says, I'm astonished. Why would anyone want to go back into the curse? He he so strongly thinks it and feels it, that he uses the way that the Bible has to emphasize a thought, which is to repeat it. And so in verse 9, he says again, as we've said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel that is contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. Now, I feel like whenever we talk about grace in such strong ways as to say that there is nothing that we could do to earn God's love or be saved, I feel like there's also this kind of, like, I want to say a caveat to that, okay? Because I don't want anybody to mishear me today. So let me say this, that when Paul says that we shouldn't put our trust in works of the law, he's not saying that we should be um, willingly disobedient to the law of God, He's not saying that we should live lawlessly. The fancy word for that is antinomialism. I didn't even say that right. It's so fancy. Antinomian. Look it up. (laughs) Google's great. Um, No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is to those who have been saved by God and have been given a new heart, that, that they would never, by the power of God's keeping spirit, be able to be content to live in unrepentant, habitually practiced sin. That you can't love your sin and accept your sin and say, look, that's just how God made me. I was born that way. You can't love and embrace that which God hates and at the same time say you love and embrace Christ. No, the Bible says you can't serve two masters. It means that you can fall into sin and hate it, that it has a hold of you, that it still hasn't been pulled out of your heart, that it is still attached to your flesh and lies there tempting you, and you can hate it when it gets a hold of you but you can't walk willingly into it and love it and the whole time say, God's okay with it. Now, Paul's not saying that at all. Those who refuse the gospel of grace, though, are separating themselves from the very love and power of God that is meant to change our hearts so that we willingly walk away from the sins that once so easily beset us. I say it like this to the kids upstairs. There was a time in my life I hated yogurt. And, and to my parents' credit, I don't think they ever made me eat it. They were sensible people. didn't want anybody to throw anything up or whatever. So, But there was a time also in my life that I think um, somehow yogurt got put in front of me years and years later, and I opened it up, and, and I tried yogurt, Surprise! I I like yogurt. Not because I tried to like yogurt, but because I changed. Like my taste buds grew and developed. And that which I used to hate, I now liked. Can I tell you that when God saves you, the same spirit that has saved you from your sins continues to work in your heart so that something happens inside of you and the very sins that you used to love and just wallow in and identify yourself with become things you hate and want to walk away from. Not because you're super Christian, but because God's grace doesn't just save you, it changes you. And so that we are being more and more made in the likeness of the Son of God who gave himself for us, so that one day we stand before him and we're recognized by him being conformed to his image. Paul goes on in chapter 1, verse 10, as I close, and says just this. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I would just say this. The idea to humanity that God has already paid the price for our sins that we could be redeemed is an idea that's not very palatable. This message is never really received by unrepentant men and women. It's easier for them to receive a message like, just try to be good. Try to be better you know what, God recognizes your good intentions. Sure, you're wallowing in your sin, but you know what, God knows that really you're a good person. Besides that, just watch some afternoon TV show that has all of the wretchedness of humanity put on some kind of talk show, and then look at that and go, well, at least I'm not like that. And then feel better about yourself. Because who among us can't find somebody that's a little worse off and go, well, at least I'm not like that. And so our human nature likes to say, just try a little harder, be good people, and in the end, God will accept you. You've done more good than bad. And Paul's saying, look, it's easy to preach those kind of messages and it makes you very popular. The thing, it just makes you not a servant of Christ Jesus. Because the message that we have is the cross bids a man to come and die. Take up your cross and follow him. That God's not looking for better people. God's looking for born-again believers who, by the grace of God, through the faith given by God's Spirit, have the work of Christ applied to our heart and now want to live for the glory of God. This is the gospel. Accept no substitutes. Because substitutes won't do anything for you. I want to ask the music team if they would come back up and we're going to pray and and, and we're going to close. The rest of the letter now, Paul is going to begin. He's going to start really developing his credentials and why he can defend his gospel authority because of what Christ alone has shared with him. And I can hardly wait until we get into that end of, of chapter 2 and crucified with Christ, and then through 3 and 4, we really get to the meat of our salvation. And I hope that God, through His Spirit, as we go through this book for the rest of the summer, is just encouraging you week after week after week as we go out and we try to live for the Lord and we battle this flesh and and we we may come in and just need again to be reminded that we're accepted in, in Christ Jesus because of His work and His righteousness. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Again, for every bruised heart in here, for every discouraged spirit, Lord, that feels like they're not enough for You, that feels like they still have to get a little bit better before they surrender their life to You, that feels like if they could just really get a handle on this sin or that, then they would be ready to give their life to you and, and put their hope in you and, and become a Christian. Lord, would, would would your word be speaking to their heart right now that there is nothing needed, no amount of cleaning up that you're looking for because we're incapable of that? But what you want instead is for us to just surrender and say of our own identity, I repent, Lord, because I recognize I'm incapable of everything ever being good enough to earn the Creator's love. But I am so grateful that You have displayed Your love in Christ Jesus and I can be made right with You through His finished work. Lord, for anyone who's discouraged in this place because they don't think they're good enough, would they see the goodness of Jesus Christ being made available to us through His sacrifice? And Lord, for if there's anyone in here who thinks that they're so good that they don't need to be reminded of the Gospel, that it's only and all because of You, would You humble them by revealing the amount of sin that still remains in their fallen self so that we can all as one body be brought back into unity at the foot of the cross, staring up in amazement at the Son of God hanging there sinless, On our behalf, arms wide open, inviting us into a relationship by grace alone, through faith alone, and what He's accomplished alone. In Jesus' name.